Thank you. Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, so cool being with you all this evening, Muscle Bay PM. Uh, it's actually my first time in this hall. And um, yeah, I was in the old in the old coffee shop was the last time, so it's been a long time ago. And um, But it's really a delight being with you. I just love your enthusiasm and your passion and your openness just for the things of the Lord. And uh, yeah, and just to be a, a family, a, a people, is, is the way that actually God has designed us to be. We're not called to do this on our own. Uh, so just a little bit about myself, and then I'll dive into what I want to share this evening. Is, uh, so I'm Mike, as I mentioned. I've been married 25 years to one wife, and I've got three children. My oldest is 22, living in Cape Town, studying teaching, and uh, she tutors and, and is part of one of the Josh Jen congregations on that side. My middle daughter is actually studying in Bloemfontein, of all places, and um, she hasn't yet begun to say hot chocolate. <laughs> Apparently, that's one of the signs if you're, if you're from that area. <laughs> and then my son is 15, and he is um, yeah still in school. My wife, unfortunately, couldn't make it because he's got exams, so we don't want to leave him on his own. That would be bad parenting. And so, of course, um, she's at home with him. Uh, I'm also involved in overseeing, we've got Josh Chen as a discipleship school, if you don't know. And I've been overseeing that for a number of years. It's called TMT, and I know we have a number of ex-TMT um, students. And here, yeah, I'm not sure what to call that. I was going to say something nasty about, but um, yeah, and so I'm overseeing that, and I was leading the Wellington AIM congregation. I have the privilege to travel a lot around the Josh Jen and 412 churches, just teaching and seeing what God is doing. And I want to say to you, you know, that there is very, there are very exciting things happening all over. God is really moving, and I don't think we realize that we are part of a generation where um, God is, is doing something wonderful. He's raising up men and women, young men and women, old men and women, serving the purposes of God in our generation. Uh, and we are privileged to be part of it. I don't think we're always aware of this. We're part of a move of God. And I don't think we're always aware of it because we're in it. Um, I don't think always the people in the early church also knew that they were part of something or movements. They didn't know because they were in the middle of it. And I think we're in the middle of something where we're not always aware of what the Lord is busy doing. Maybe one day, you know, people look back, wow, God did something amazing there and then. Um, and what I want to do this evening is I want to share with you around um, our relationship with the Word of God and what the Word of God does for us. And I want to give you two things this evening around what the Word of God, what Scripture does for us. And you know, we all have a relationship with the Bible in some way. Obviously, we have a relationship with the Lord. Um, and I'm not sure if you're here tonight, uh, you know, you might be here as a believer, you might be here following Jesus, but maybe you are here and you are looking in, in some way. Maybe your faith is a, you know, you're not sure about this Christian faith and you're looking in. That's great. I trust that tonight would help you as well. Um, and ultimately, you know, as Christians, although we follow Jesus, we also have a relationship with the Bible. And in fact, our faith is defined by how we relate to this book and this book isn't just an ordinary book. You know, it's, it's when the Bible itself, as we'll look now, says that it's inspired. It doesn't mean it's inspired like Shakespeare is inspired. Uh, it doesn't mean it's inspired like some other great piece of literature or art. The Bible is a unique book and it shapes us and God has given it to us as a gift. But I think sometimes we don't always utilize the gift very well and we often squander the very treasures in his word. And so I really tonight just want to stir you up, and if anything, just put in you a fresh hunger and a fresh desire just to get back 
and to get into his word. Not for an end in itself, as you'll see. There's actually a different end. But to get back into his word and to devote yourself to what God says in here as we look. And so I actually want to do a bit of a Bible study with you tonight. Is that all right? Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And um, I want us to look at 2 Timothy 3 from verse, a section. Where is it? Let's have a look. Verse 12. I think it's actually, yeah, verse 12. And here the section, and if you've got your Bibles, you'll notice your physical Bibles even on your phone. You'll notice that the Bible translators would put a heading over the different verses. And why did they do that? They do that because then they want to essentially give the theme of the section to see what it means to help us to read it in context and to read the theme. And so these are put there not by Paul didn't write a heading. He didn't say all scriptures breathed out by God is the heading in my Bible. That's put there by Bible translators and it's to help us understand the theme. And in verse 12, I want us to read, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, that's quite heavy. <laughs> who said woohoo? <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, you're not to pray for persecution, Wade. If it happens, yeah. <laughs> so it says that all who desire to live a godly life, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's quite interesting. And this is obviously 2,000 years ago. And, you know, we're in a generation where uh, if you get onto YouTube, if you switch on the TV, Netflix, or you stream something, generally you are going to be confronted with deceptive thoughts and ideas that will shake or confront your Christianity and your truth. Um, we've got things even within the church that are sweeping the church of ideas that are quite modern ideas that you didn't find even 30, 40 years ago or 100 years ago where the church has shifted and become a lot more like the world in its thinking. And to actually hold to the Bible is quite a rare thing for us today. And that's part of what we're doing even is to put our confidence not to try and be relevant. And there's a pressure on us at times to be relevant and while we should have a message for our generation, the, the Bible is not relevant in the sense that we have to change the message to try and suit people's needs. And there's a lot of fear in churches today because we feel like we've got to reach people by kind of changing, the, accommodating the truth, you know. To, you can stay as you are. Don't worry. You don't need to change. Come as you are. Those things actually... Uh, yeah, as you'll see, the Bible is different to that, and God would want us to actually hold to the truth. And there's this time of, of, of and it carries on, it says, while evil people, imposters, will go on from bad to worth, worse, deceiving, being deceived, but as for you, and so tonight I want to say, but as for you, and he says to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. There's so much here, but I'm going to highlight one thing, really two things tonight. But the first thing I want to highlight is the first thing that the Bible is able to, to do for us is that Paul promises here to Timothy that the Bible is able to make you wise. That's the first part I want to focus on, is able to make you wise. 
What is wisdom? I don't know about you, but I know I need wisdom. I'm often ignorant. I'm in the dark. I need wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, in the most basic sense, wisdom is the ability, definitely according to Proverbs, and actually if we look at biblical wisdom, um, you get two types of wisdom in the Bible. You get the Proverbs kind of wisdom, which is the ability that God gives you to make good decisions, good choices that help you to live a godly life and a flourishing life. And right, and every day we are faced with choices. And the book of Proverbs is written, it's like common sense, good common advice, common, common sense advice in a sense of how we should live. Like, you know, if you want to sow, if you sow well, you will reap. If you work hard, you will gain a reward. If you're lazy, you're probably not going to be able to eat. Uh, if you're wise, you're going to receive correction. If you're foolish, well, destruction will come to you. Just basic, good, common sense. And the Bible is given to us in many ways to help us just to make good decisions in life. You know, how to, and we need that today. It's amazing how we've thrown common sense often out the window. You know, there's, someone once said the difference between wisdom and knowledge is um, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit and wisdom is to know not to put it in a fruit salad. <laughs> so God has given us those kind of books. But then you actually find that there's another type of wisdom in the Bible Then when you come to Scripture, is the wisdom of books that actually freak us out a little bit. Books like Job and Ecclesiastes. Those books kind of mess with our minds. I don't know if any of you love reading Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. You know, vanity, vanity, and, and you read it, and it's quite depressing, actually. And then you say, oh, no, let me go to the book of Job. And then you go to the book of Job, and Job is, you know, this godly man. He loves the Lord. He's righteous, and his family are serving God. And suddenly, everything, he, you know, he, God tests him. He allows the devil to test him to the point that he loses everything. I mean, even his wife says, curse God and die. We shouldn't always listen to our wives. And you read these kinds of wisdom, and, and this kind of wisdom in the Bible, by the way, is given to actually help us. It's called philosoph philosophical wisdom. And this kind of Bible wisdom is given, uh, in a sense, to help us realize that for me, when I read Job and I read Ecclesiastes, it leaves me disturbed because it leaves me with a sense that actually we don't always have the answers. But actually what the Bible does, it leads us to the one that even though God, by the way, God never promises to always give us the answers. And sometimes we wonder, but Lord, why? Why Why are you doing this? Why am I in the situation? Why am I, you know, am I going through this? And you know, and while God would not give you the answers, he promises his presence. And that's what he did to Job. And sometimes the wisest thing to say and the wisest thing to do is just to simply say, all I know is I actually don't know, but I will serve the Lord and worship him, even in the mystery and even in the mess of life. And you know, there's a wisdom in that. There's a w wisdom to sometimes say life is inexplicable. There are things that happen, but we still trust and have faith in the God that is faithful, that loves us, that works things for the good. And, you know, there's that kind of wisdom. And so he says to um, Timothy, he says, Timothy, hold to the scriptures that are able to make you wise. Don't we need wisdom today? I don't know about you, but man, when I drift into foolishness, I've got to go back to the word. 
Got to go back to Scripture. And not to my feelings, but to Scripture. And by the way, you know, we're in a very much a feeling-based generation. Uh, there's the rise of what, what is called um, individual expressionism, this idea that I am what I feel. That's why we have the rise of the gender movement and the transgender movement. Um, people that say, but I'm, I'm a man, but I, I'm, you know, I identify as a woman. Uh, not me, <laughs> hypothetically. Uh, and it's very real because people saying, but this is how I feel. And because our society has taken out true wisdom found in, what, in the word of God, because our society is like a donut, you take out the middle of the donut. What are you left with? Where do you look? You can't look outward to God. You can't look at his word. Where do you look? You look inward. And so we've made our feelings the, 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 the standard of absolute truth. But God's way says, no, Timothy, I want you to find wisdom. I want you to go back to the word. Don't look inside of yourself. You've got to look outward. And I want to say, even for you, be careful that you, while we are, we must be in touch with our feelings. Actually, that's very important. I mean, you read the Psalms. David was in touch with his feelings. I mean, I think he was a very melancholic soul. You know, I mean, two-thirds of the Psalms are he's lamenting and complaining to God. God, where are you? You know, he, he was in touch with his emotions. He, he was able to sing the blues. That's what the laments are. Really, you know, you know where are you, Lord? Do, 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 do. You know, I can't find you at all. Do, 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 do. You know, <laughs> why have you done this to me? Do, 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 do. You know, it's just like it's the blues. And in the midst of it, he's trying to find God and he's, he's aware of his emotions and he's trying to, uh, you know, it's actually the Psalms are beautiful because I'm, I'm rabbit trailing now, but the Psalms are a source of wisdom. They're actually uh, the, the autobiography of David's soul. You know, Kings and Chronicles, Samuel is the biography of David's outer life, but the Psalms are the biography of his inner life. And we get to see the inner workings of this godly man who struggled. Doesn't that give you hope? David struggled. You know, Jesus calls himself son of David, not son of Steve. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, okay, obviously he wouldn't do that because we live long. And anyway, he was, anyway, I don't want to have to explain myself. <laughs> right? And so be careful. What I want to say to you is but be careful we don't get led by our feelings. And I know for, you know, many of you here are quite young uh, in terms of, and we're all growing in the Lord but that we are swept, and our generation is swept by feelings. I feel this, I feel that. And um, we're not led by those things in some way. We're led by the Lord, but it's not always feeling-based. Uh, and what I want to do tonight is I want to put in you a resilience to say that actually uh, our basis is not in subject, something subjective, it's objective. It's the, the, the gift of the Word of God, which gives us wisdom. We look outward to, to it. And so he says, he carries on, he says, Timothy, I want you to, the word of God, where is it? Um, in verse 14, as for you, verse 15, you, uh, the, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. And then this is the next part it says, uh, still under point one. And this wisdom comes, interesting, through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? He says it comes through faith in Jesus. In other words, to find true wisdom in the word of God doesn't just come by trying to be clever. And saying, oh, I'm going to come to the Bible and I'm going to learn a lot of stuff. But actually says, if you want to actually have the Bible unlocked to you, if you want to try find true wisdom, it actually comes through a relationship with the Lord Jesus. In other words, and I know this is true for me, I, um, I had a Bible on my shelf when I was growing up. 
Uh, I never read it. I think I should try to read it once or twice, but it was this weird book that kind of sat there. Uh, and I, I grew up in a family that didn't really like the Bible or read the Bible. And anyway, I had this Bible that was given to me, I think, when I was 12. And I would open it, but it meant nothing to me. Uh, you know, it was, um, it was there. But when I gave my life and put my faith in Jesus, suddenly my heart was drawn to it. And it unlocked something of who God is, the nature of God, the character of God. I began to see him because I, the key was this, faith in Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That somehow through your love for the Lord and your relationship with him, your faith in him, he actually draws you to his word. And he unlocks his word to you. And so, you know, if you're struggling to read the Bible and you're struggling to kind of use the, the Bible as your benchmark, I want to ask you the question, well, what is your faith in Jesus like? What is your relationship with Jesus like? Are you, are you developing your, your, your trust in the Lord? Are you trusting in him? Because if you're trusting in him, he'll help you then. It's this kind of symbiotic relationship, the word and Jesus, Jesus and the word, and takes you round and round in a beautiful way. So he says, it comes from faith in Jesus. Now, what's scary about this, by the way, you know, is that it's possible for you to know the Bible, to know scripture, to know truth, and for you to end up in hell. In fact, the devil probably knows the Bible. He knows the Bible better than all of us. In fact, we know the story when Jesus is in the desert for 40 days and the devil appears to him. The devil doesn't go, I want to say something to you and I want to tempt you with some of my own sayings. Okay? What the devil does is he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy three times. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. I think it's from or Jesus. And then Jesus quotes Deuteronomy back to the devil. He's quoting scripture, you know, and even the Pharisees, there's this shocking story in John chapter five, where Jesus is arguing with his religious leaders, with the Pharisees or the scribes of the day. And these people, they knew their Bibles. In fact, they studied the word. And Jesus says to them, you have studied the word. You know the word, but you have not known the one. You've, not, you've missed me, essentially. That's Mike Dofe paraphrase. Okay, I'm not going to turn there right now because we're going to get, but my friends, it's possible that we can get so invested in the word. And this is the problem is we should not try and read the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible. We read the Bible with the aim to know the author of the Bible. We read the Bible through faith in Jesus to know him and to have us, our faith built up in him to know the ways of God so that we can obey the author and to know the author. And people who read the Bible and say, oh, I've read the Bible, means nothing to me, because they're reading it for the end of itself, for knowledge. If you do that, it's just gonna puff you up. But if you read it to know him and obey him. And so one little thing that I try and do when I read the Bible in my quiet times, here's something very practical I'll give you, is that when I read it, I often ask myself the question, when I read through scripture, the question is this, what is this portion tell me about the nature of God or the character of God? And I ask myself that question, what does it tell me about who God is? And often I, I, I just keep that as my lens and I ask him, Lord, show yourself to me as, as I read your word so that I can love you and obey you in it because I want my love for him to be fueled and put on fire. And so that's the first point I wanna say is that the, the Bible is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. And it's, by the way, wise for salvation, not 
you know, there's a lot of people preaching today, uh, helping you to be wise to make money and how to live your best life now. How to be wise in um, losing weight. Really. How to be wise in doing certain things. But actually, Paul says it's wise for salvation. In other words, it's wise to uh, live a life that is eternally based. That every decision we make now is for the kingdom. is for salvation. is to live well now for that day so that we can bring people into the kingdom. And one of the things I want to ask you is be careful what you are watching and reading and seeing. Uh, in fact, I want to say, I'm going to drop it now and I know later probably be unpacked. But for a season, we've actually felt in Josh Jen, uh, Andrew's felt this, but to close the windows and doors from outside voices and teachings so that we can get back into scripture, back into the Bible. Because so often we, you know, I, um, as I mentioned, I deal with students, TNT students, and these guys are hungry for, for the word. They're hungry for truth, but they devour anything. Like, you know, it's almost like a, a goat that's got, you know, you give them good food, you give them, they just eat anything. They just, just devour it. They're not that bad, but they are, you know, and they'll just get sucked into all this stuff. And how much don't we, when you get onto YouTube, we get on the internet, we don't know these people. We don't know the food. We don't follow them. And so God, we have to, we have to drink from this common source of, of, of how we are called to, um, yeah, be in the house and what that means for us. So that will be unpacked within the next week or two, but this is the heart of God, um, to grow in discernment and get back to the word. So that's number one. Um, number two, let's look at the second one. He carries on. He says, verse 16, for all scripture, he carries on, is breathed out by God. Don't you love that? Breathed out by God. In other words, that scripture comes from the mouth of God. That's what Matthew 4, 4 says. It says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is breathed out. <laughs> from the mouth of God. And in a sense, God has breathed out his word from his mouth into the minds and the hearts of the authors. And when they wrote down scripture, they wrote down the very words of God, which have been tested. And this is our Bible today. And so this is why it's inspired. It's inspired because it's breathed out by God. And so we believe in what we call double authorship, or we, the Bible has two authors, man and God. Behind man is God. And so it gives power to this. And he carries on. He says, this scripture that is breathed out by God is profitable. And this is the second point I want to make is why, how the Bible is able to, what the Bible is able to do for us. Secondly, the Bible is able to train us for righteousness. That's the second point that I want to give you. Train you for righteousness. And he says here, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, um, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Every time we read the Bible and we apply it well, we are training ourselves in righteousness. We are training ourselves to think in a certain way and to have our thinking shaped. How are you getting your, your thinking shaped? Obviously by being in a household where you get receiving good teaching, but it is word-based. And it, it shapes your, it corrects you, it encourages you, it, it, should, it should challenge you. In fact, I want to say, if you never get challenged in what you read in the Bible, then there's something wrong. You know, and good preaching should actually comfort you and disturb you. Because that's the, what the Word of God, it, it, it comes for correction, actually, and reproof and training. Uh, they say someone, someone once said that a good preacher will comfort the disturbed 
and disturb the comfortable. <laughs> you should be disturbed. And I know often when I come to the Bible, it disturbs me because it, it shows up the areas where I, I need to be trained in. And, um, and the Bible trains us. So here's the thing that I want us to look at in 1 Timothy. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. This thing of training um, is, is a theme that actually Paul has when he speaks to Timothy and, and should speak to us too. In 1 Timothy 4, he says in verse 7 and 8, I'd like to read this to you. Same kind of concept said in a different way. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And it's interesting. So he says, train yourself for what? To be a godly, to be a man of God or a woman of God. When you read your Bible, if you read it with a posture of faith in Jesus and, and wanting to know him and obey him, if that's your posture and you come to the word of God, the word of God itself, by the help of the Holy Spirit, and often in the household of faith, it'll train you. Train you for what? So you can be smart, intelligent, no. So that you can be godly. That you can look like Jesus. That you can be shaped to be a man of God or a woman of God. And, and it's like he's saying that the greatest goal and the aim that you should have and I should have, the goal is to be a man of God, to be godly. Not to be rich, not to have influence, but to be godly. To be godly, to gain the world, to gain your soul, to, even if you lose your world, to, to, to have something of, that you begin to look like him. And it's interesting here, it says, he says here, train, and the word train comes from the word, Greek word gymnazo or gymnasio. It means where we get our word gymnasium from, it, it means that we actually are doing some work in order to, to become godly. You know, um, I play a lot of tennis. It's one of the sports I play in Wellington. There's no beach, unfortunately, so i uh, got nowhere to, uh, there's a little river, but that's about it. And in Wellington, I'm part of the tennis club, and I think I'm, I'm a pretty good tennis player, actually. I, um, I'm not bad. You know, sometimes I have these illusions of grandeur, so to speak. And um, I, now let's say, you know, that I say I'm going to take on the number one player in the club. Uh, this guy, number one, he's Massey, his name is. And I say, you know, I'm going to take him on. And so I wake up in the morning. I'm about to play him later that day, and I'm, I'm feeling particularly confident. I'm going to beat him. And, but meanwhile, I'm actually, in reality, I'm about number 15 probably in the club. That's where I am in reality. And so what I decide to do is I decide to look in the mirror, and I go, Mike, you are a world-class tennis player. You are going to take this guy down by faith. I claim that. I take it. Today, Mike, you will beat Massey. You will, you will serve well. You will begin to hit your forehand like Roger Federer. You will begin to play like you've never played before. Mike, today's your day. It's the day of destiny. <laughs> and then I go on the court with him. What do you think will happen? Do you think I would win? Okay, not unless he gets cramped or gets injured. Okay. <laughs> there will be love, but it'll be mine. Ouch, burn. That's true. <laughs> what have I done? I've made a mockery of myself. I've, and that's what we do, unfortunately, in Christian circles. We've been taught, just speak it over your life. Just, just say it. Just claim it. By the way, wherever does the Bible say you should ever claim anything from God? 
Christians walk around, claim this, claim that. Show me the scripture where it says we can claim anything. We can ask him, we can petition him, but we don't have some divine right as little gods that we now take this power to speak that into existence. Really? It's a pleasure. And what does it say? In other words, we don't fall into godliness. Like a, a, a world-class tennis player doesn't wake up one morning and, and suck himself up with so much belief that he, 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 he kind of just rolls out of bed and becomes a world-class tennis player. I would have to practice. And you find these guys that are, that are the world-class. They practice all the time. They work on their strokes. They're on the court four, five, six hours a day. They suffer for their sport out of passion. They, they are dedicated to it. And that's actually the, the heart of what Paul's saying here. He's saying you want to be godly? You really want to become a man of God or woman of God? Which we should aim to. You really want to be like Jesus? Well, train. Train. What does it mean to train? It means that, okay, I'm going to learn to discipline myself. To actually put aside my feelings. When my feelings are shouting, I don't feel like reading my Bible today. You know, oh, I don't feel close to God, you know, I feel more like the devil than Jesus. And you wake up on the wrong, you know, we all feel like that sometimes. I feel like that. I wake up in the morning feeling terrible. I feel down and I've got to speak to myself. Mike, speak to your soul. I have to preach to myself. I don't listen to myself. I speak to myself. <laughs> I've got to train myself, you know, and I've got to train myself to kind of get into the Bible, to read it, to discipline myself. I don't think training is always fun, but it's necessary. You know, Paul says, I beat my body into submission. I, 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 I work it so that I can not be disqualified for the prize. My friends, what God has for you, the call that he has for your life, the good works that he has prepared for you, there's required by grace, some type of activation that is required that doesn't just come by speaking into it. You actually have to devote, you have to sacrifice, you have to commit, you've got to read, you've got to get in. You've got to ask the Lord to shift you so that you can train yourself for godliness. And you know, I love this, what it says. He says to Timothy, he says, train, and I love this, here's the big one, yourself. What does that mean? It means take ownership for your own growth. Take ownership. That if the Bible is, is given as a gift from God to make us wise and to train you to become, it says on, to become the man of God, to be equipped for every good work, it means that you have to take ownership of that to say, Lord, I am going to take ownership for my life. It means that you're not going to say, well, the leaders never follow up on me. You know, the leaders haven't pastored me properly and, you know, and you don't understand my background. You know, you don't understand the mess I've come from. And my father and my mother, I don't. He does. And we have to be careful that we don't slip into this victim culture where we ask others to take responsibility for us. Train yourself. And this isn't self-help talk. It's, it's, it's as you've been given the Holy Spirit, given the grace of God. Even that is a gift to do that. It means that when you maybe are like wanting to sleep in, you know, you get those mornings, it's like the alarm's gone off and it's cold outside, it's winter, and you, you just said, I'm going to get up at whatever, 6.30, I'm going to get up early, 6 a.m., okay, it's not that early, but for me, 6 a.m. is early. I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. and I want to spend time with the Lord, I'm going to, I'm putting this in, I want to be like Jesus who, like the psalmist who awake, who awoke, you know, he awakened the dawn, 
I want to be like that, Lord. I'm going to build that into my life. I want to get into the word. But then as you, that alarm goes off, you switch it off and you go, okay, what are you going to do? You know, who's going to win? And I tell you what, for me, the duvet cries out, hold me. (laughs) The duvet, it has so much power, man. That duvet is like, just hold me a little bit longer, you know? Don't let me go. And I'm going, yes, duvet, I'll hold on to you. I feel feel that. And I feel like, no, duvet, get off you, you know, in Jesus' name. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes we think that, um, you know, we look at great men and women of God. You You look at... You know, people in the ages, we've all looked up to these men and women. Have you ever, you know, read the biographies of men and women of God? Have you ever, you know, you've been around the, the presence and you know that some people have been marked by the, they're marked by God. You know, that? have you ever been around people like they're A-grade, they, they're world-class, there's something, they're, they're godly. You know, I remember Will Murray being, when I was around him, others that you know that they've walked a long journey. Let me say, they did not slip into godliness. That they simply just stuck it out long enough and they somehow became godly. Those guys, there was no, there, was, there were encounters with God, but they were not driven by encounters. They, they had to get up. They had to discipline their body. They, had, they were tested and tempted. They were offended. They had to learn how to forgive and love and sacrifice and serve. You know, we, we don't slip into these things. And so I think sometimes as Christians, we have this weird mystical idea that somehow we just, you know, the godly person just pops up, you know, just drops out of heaven. No. So in closing, I want to read one more scripture to you. So as we saw that, then it is able to make you wise for salvation. Secondly, scripture is able to train you, to teach you, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Don't you love that? Not just some good works, that scripture is sufficient for every good work. That means that any area in life that you want to grow into, that even you want to become better in, the scriptures will help you. That God has covered all the bases, so to speak, for every kind of ministry, every kind of giving, every kind of serving, every kind of wisdom is found in the word of God. And so I want to read one more scripture to you in light of that. Um, And I want to ask you this, this evening, would you... Maybe even with me, a fresh resolve, give a, have a resolve. Ask the, the, the Holy Spirit to put in you a resolve to say, Lord, I want to I wanna work on my relationship with your word. I want to grow into these things that you called me to. I want to not just be listening to outside voices and have those books and, you know, listen to that teacher and that teacher. I want to I be in the house. I want to get into the word. I want to drink from this well and this fountain within what you called me to. And... Um, I want to read the scripture to you um, in, where is it? Can you put it up there? It's Proverbs, did I give it to you? Proverbs 2, 3 to 5. And just on this, it says, yes, if you call, a, call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek for it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, I want to stop there quickly. So the Bible says itself that if you want the wisdom of God, because the whole section is about wisdom, if you want understanding and insight, you want revelation, it's not going to fall out of heaven. It's in the earth. It's in the ground. And how do you get that? You dig for it. It doesn't just drop out of heaven. Sometimes it does. <laughs> but revelation comes as you somehow are digging as for hidden treasure. 
And as you dig, God will bring the gold. He'll reveal himself. He hides himself so that he can be found and, and, and it'll find. But he wants you to dig. He wants you to activate. He wants you to have a resolve. And then it carries on. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. And so I want to ask us this evening that the Lord would help us by grace. We can't, we can't white knuckle our way to it. Because, you know, I can't do this in my own strength. I'm not holy enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I, ca I can't do this. We can't live out the faith in our own strength. We need his, find ourselves in relationship with Jesus. We need to find the presence of the Lord. And as we do so, he helps us to, 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 to resolve. But like Daniel, he resolved to do certain things in the Old Testament. And um, I'd like to pray for you and uh, see what the Lord wants to do. Come, let's, let's stand. Let's, um,